Good morning, and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, in this world, it's all too easy to get our Christian walk off-center sometimes, with the distractions and the temptations and the failures that come from living in a world in rebellion to God's glory. Today, we will examine chapters 11 and 12 in Nehemiah and see how he repopulates Jerusalem and dedicates the work of the laborers with singing and celebratory rejoicing. We'll find two keys from Nehemiah to help us get our own lives rededicated to God and making sure that we put Christ at the center of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, it seems that hurricanes have been in the news lately. I wanted to bring an announcement uh, from Donna Dewey concerning her daughter uh, Heather and Matt that they safely got evacuated from Puerto Rico in the hurricane. Uh, It didn't cause them any damage, but Matt has elected to go back, and so keep him in your prayers. Uh, While Heather uh, stays home and works to serve here, uh, Matt's going back to help with the disaster relief. Uh, Additionally, I've gotten uh, some word from Chris Mulder, who says that it's pretty chaotic in Florida. Um, The region where she's at is, uh, she says, a bit disorganized, and uh, she's still working hard and faithfully to help all those who need it. When we lived in the Caribbean, we went through a couple of hurricanes ourselves. Do you remember Hurricane Sandy? Everybody remember that one? You, you didn't hear about it until it hit, uh, until it hit the uh, Washington, D.C., the, the nation's capital. But before it uh, traveled into the East Coast, it went right over my house. And uh, I included a couple of pictures here of what it looked like. And I, re- I remember as the preparations were being made, uh, we had all our storm shutters up and we uh, greased all of the locks because there's a lot of salt spray that comes through the air and we took down anything that could be dislodged and could fly through the air and cause damage. Emily got what felt like a month's worth of rations together. Um, felt like uh, Armageddon. Uh, bottles and bottles of water. She took it really good care of us. And we hunkered down in my office because the house that we were in it had uh, four block walls. It was the only room that had four block walls. And as the hurricane was picking up strength and we, uh, we were hearing rumors that it was approaching 180 mile per hour winds, uh, the, the lights flickered and then they were gone. And then the, the humidity starts to set in and then the winds start to pick up. And I remember that as we uh, lay down to try to sleep that night, uh, the winds got louder and louder and louder. And every time, I, I swear, I would say this, that it can't get worse. It sounded like a freight train. You know when the train runs by here on the tracks? It sounded like the train itself was rubbing up against the building, shaking the building. And I said, it can't get worse. And then it'd get worse. And it would get louder and it would get louder. And We didn't sleep much that night. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. We, we actually uh, tried to put on headphones because it was just so loud with the wind. And it sounded like, as your imagination thinks to what's going on, that um, buildings are being knocked down and it's nothing but a, um, just devastation outside. And then something interesting happened. It got quiet. And, and, and the sunshine came out. And it was morning. And I walked outside and, and you could see how the, the clouds had parted. But the, the storm should have been over by now. Does anyone know where we were at that point? We were in the, the eye of the storm, which was really eerie. It was very strange because one thing that happens, at least within the uh, 
um, the, the weather phenomena is that, that the, the winds are changing direction at that time because they're going to hit you from the opposite direction. But it seemed like everything was peaceful. Everything was calm. Everything was, at, uh, everything was still. It wasn't so as you left the center. The further you got away from the center, the more chaotic it was, the, the more scary it was, the more things were being destroyed. But right at the center, there was calm and you were safe and there, there was peace at the middle. I want to show you a picture of our son um, during this storm, of how he handled it. Uh, it's a little dark, but uh, we stuck him under my desk just in case something were to fall. And he slept like a baby. Slept like a baby. I, I felt that same peace that he had when I was in the eye because the, the storm wasn't uh, affecting me. E even though it was all around me, I had peace. And it, it was, I was safe. I could be calm. I could look like this. There wasn't a worry and there wasn't a care because uh, the, the winds weren't affecting me. I was at the center of the storm uh, and it was calm. Micah has peace in this image because he knows his mom and dad are going to take care of him and he doesn't have any concern about the wind. He doesn't have any concern about the storm. It is for me a metaphor of what it's like to live the Christian life. Anyone here find that life sometimes feels tumultuous? It feels like the winds are going to cause destruction. It can't get any worse. Anyone ever feel like that? And the good news for us is that Jesus wants to walk with you through the storms of life, making certain that He is at the center. Because when Jesus is at the center of your life, you can have all chaos around you and you can still have peace. You can still be calm. You can still have an assurance of knowing that you're going to be taken care of. And nothing bad is going to happen because Jesus is with you in the center of the storms of your life. The other day, I was riding in the truck thinking of all of the things I had to get done. Anyone ever do that when they're driving? I got to pay the bills. I got to take out the trash. I got to do an oil change. I got to fix the shelf. I got a hundred million things going through my head. And Micah tells me, he says, he heard a song on the radio that he's wondering if we could do at church. And it's called Jesus at the Center. And I put it on my phone and listened to it. And I said, I don't think we can do that, son. We don't have enough instruments and uh, it probably isn't going to work. And then I, I listened to the song, but folks, I didn't listen. I listened to how it was played, but I didn't listen to the words. And, and as I've been preparing this message this morning, as we're kind of walking through Nehemiah, uh, we're going to turn there in a moment. I wanted to play for you the song that Michael wants us to sing at church called Jesus at the Center. Uh, I, I want you to listen with the heart of worship uh, to the words of this song. Jesus at the Center. I love that song. You ever, you ever get off center? Anyone here ever move to the periphery and end up getting into the winds again of life rather than stay at the center where Jesus is? He wants to be the number one priority in your life. Not something you add in addition to the rest of the scope of what you think life is. Jesus wants to be the center. I love in that song how it says everything else revolves around you. It's my prayer that maybe for you today, I, I prayed a lot in preparing this message, thinking maybe it's just for one person this morning. There's one person who just needs to get their heart centered right with God. It's nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to feel that, oh, what, what if people 
know that I, I'm not always centered. Folks, I'm not always centered with God. It's so easy in this world to get off track or find yourself in a pattern of a rut or wrong thinking. We need to come back. We need to return. I'm entitling this message as we walk through Nehemiah. Nehemiah for the rededication of the community. And in, in the course of the story we're at, we're going we're gonna to pick things up in chapters 11 and 12. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me there now. But Nehemiah has finished the walls. And it's time, it's time to bring everybody back to the center. It's time to bring the community back to God. And in chapters 11 and 12, this is what we see. The, the story is going to really unfold in two parts. So that's what we're going to cover this morning, right? A, a piece in chapter 11 and then another piece in chapter 12. And I'll have two points of observation with a single point of application as we wrap things up this morning. Nehemiah chapter 11. Page 768 in the, back, in, the, in the back of the pew there, the pew Bible, 768. Nehemiah 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring what out of every ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all of the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. And now some Israelites and priests and Levites and temple servants and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah, each in his own property in the various towns, while other people from both Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. From the descendants of Judah, Athaiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of... This goes on for quite a while. Um, <laughs> You, you might be able to look down and find that actually covers the rest of chapter 11. Now, I don't want you to think that this is superfluous, right? That these names mean nothing. The reason you're not interested in them because it's not your names. If I was saying, and then Tom Gursky and Sandy Blockland and Cheryl Johnson. Right? Now, now I'm interested because you're hearing your own names, right? Well, that's, that's kind of the way these people would have heard it. These are their descendants. These are their people that are moving here into Jerusalem. So... Uh, this continues on even into chapter 12 as Nehemiah starts to count. Now those who are going to participate in, in the festivities, the celebration of the rededication now of the temple. I, I'd like you to pick up the story in chapter 12. Look with me in verse 27. Chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall in Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving, with music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophlites, from Beth Gilgal and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth. From, for the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people and the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. Now, I want to just explain for you. These walls are kind of thick, like ramparts, all right? So they had an area where you could patrol. It wasn't like, you know, walking the, the beam. You know, it's not just a tiny wall. These are, these are decent-sized walls here. So uh, they go up on top of the wall. He says, verse 31, I also assigned... Two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the dung gate. 
Hoziah, and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shehemiah, Jeremiah, as well as some of the priests with trumpets. And also Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mattaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zechur, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, and this, you know, Billy, Tom, Joe, Bob, the rest of these guys. <laughs> Verse 37. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Now, you and I, were not familiar with the geography, right? But if we said they, they turned left at 69 and then they traveled down M95, well, then you'd know exactly what's going on. So even though we're a little bit lost in the geography here, just understand that's just because of our ignorance to the, to the state of the, the temple walls. Look at verse 38. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jesana gate, and the fish gate, and the tower of Hanal, and the tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate. At the gate of the guard they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials. This, the story is going to wrap up here with the celebration and the singing as they have now together entered into the house of God. There, there's two things that I want us to see from this text. As we're working through the story of Nehemiah, as we're coming to this moment of rededication, we really see that rededication happens in two ways. And the first is this. The people return back in service to God. It's not very easy. Certainly not uh, a thing that a lot of people are jumping at the chance for. And I, I want you to see where you can find this back in chapter 11. Look at the beginning of chapter 11. It starts out, in, in two ways do they return in service. The first says that the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. Do you see that? So it all, it all starts with leadership, right? Uh, leadership sets the example. Uh, you know, I, I've never put something upon you that I myself am not willing to do. All right, this is what leadership does. And so the leaders of the people, they go and they settle in Jerusalem. Now what you need to understand is that Jerusalem at this time is not a place where people are going to want to go. People rather say where it's more convenient to live, you know, where, where they've got more of the community that's already functioning. But see, Jerusalem is just getting off the ground. And so they need people to go. Look, we, we got to get this city repopulated. Uh, we, we need uh, masons and blacksmiths and bakers and farmers. We, we need to get the community alive again. And so the leaders, they all say, we'll go. We'll go and we'll go to this new location to serve God back in his holy city. I love the song this morning, Marching to Zion that the choir sing. I think it's kind of a new song for us, right? Um, when I was in the Caribbean, uh, there was one church that sang it every Sunday. You know how we sing We're So Blessed? Every Sunday we sing that song. They would sing Marching to Zion to begin their church service. And they'd start in the back just like we do. And they'd sing it as they marched down. And I still see their faces in my mind, and I still hear their voices as we sing. Marching to where? Marching 
to Zion. That, that's, that's God's covenant city, the presence of God. That's where he is. That's the church today. We're, we're not necessarily marching to Jerusalem, but we're marching to be with Jesus, to be where he is, to make him the center of our lives. But it starts with going. So the leaders, they're the first part of this. And then look what it says next. It says, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem. Do you guys know what casting lots is? You, yeah, do you ever hear the, the phrase, you drew the short straw? Well, they had uh, nine long ones and one short one. And if you picked the short one, guess where you get to relocate? To Jerusalem. We need a volunteer. We need somebody to go. Someone's got to go do the nursery duty today, right? Who is it going to be? Any volunteers? Uh, someone's got to bring, bring food for the fellowship hour. Any volunteers? Someone's got to come and wash the vinyl siding. Any volunteer? Uh, you see what I mean? There, there's a lot of areas that are opportunities to serve God, but... We're not always jumping at those, right? What if we started doing this? Where's my chest and leaves? We're going to draw straws. Should we do that? Grace, just start drawing. And if you draw the short straw, you get to do. No, we, we probably won't do that. But do you see why they did it? It's because what they needed were people to go back and repopulate the city. Because rededication, hear me now, rededication begins with returning to serve the Lord. If you've gotten off center in your life, I can tell you step one to getting back is yielding yourself back to serve God. Not serving God just when it's easy. Or I have, let me check my calendar. No, it's saying, God, you are my calendar. You, you say, you move, I'll go. Because you are the center of my life. You're not some periphery that I add to my life. I want to yield all that I am, all that I have to you. Rededication starts there. It begins there. Sometimes I think that maybe God is like a big coach in heaven. I had a coach once uh, when I played football um, that made me a running back. Who thinks this looks like a running back? <laughs> look, at this, look at this arm span. Right? That, that, that is not a running back. I'm just a piece of meat to get drilled is all I am. Right? Um, but they had all the other uh, spots filled. Right? So in high school, I was a running back and didn't do very well, which is why I'm now a pastor. <laughs> but you see, the coach knows where he needs people. The, the coach knows where the open slots are, and I need someone to fill that slot right now. And, and it might not be forever, but listen, it's for now. And maybe you think, I'd rather do this instead. I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. But the need is there. I, I sometimes think that maybe that's a, a part of God's character is is working on us as being on the, his family and his team saying, look, I need someone to do this. I need someone to be here. And you may not think that's where you want to be, but he's the coach. He's the one who says go. And what are you going to do? Say no? Resist? Step number one in rededicating your life is just yielding yourself to God's service. God, use me. Uh, there's a passage in Isaiah that's just one of my favorites. Uh, God says, um, who shall I send and who will go for us? I just, I, you know, there's kind of like silence there except for Isaiah. Raising his hand, he says, here am I, send me. And little did he know that he was going to get sent to a people who didn't want to listen and didn't want to hear and proclaim a message that he didn't want to proclaim, but he was available and he was willing. And God had an opening and so 
Isaiah got put into that slot. What about you today? What about you? Do you want to rededicate your life? Have you gotten off center? Do you need to really move back to where Jesus and everything revolves around him? It starts by just yielding yourself to him. Not where it fits into your system, into your plan, into your calendar. But to say, God, I'm willing to go where you show me to go. All right. Number two uh, in rededication is that it is a return, uh, returning God to the center of our lives. And to see this, I want you to flip back to chapter 12. In chapter 12, we see that as all of these people have been gathered to participate in the celebration of the rededication of the temple, Nehemiah sets up two choirs. Look with me in verse 31. All the leaders, they go up on top of the wall, and he assigns two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed to the right towards the dung gate. Now, I want you to flip over to verse 38. And the second choir was to proceed in the opposite direction. Do you see what's going on? So they're going to start kind of outside on the, on the opposite end of the gate. And the temple is way over on the other side. And they're outside the walls. And he's got these two choirs. And they're called large choirs. And he says they got tambourines and they got cymbals and they got harps and they got lyres. And then they start marching away from one another. Marching away. Um, anyone in here just a show of hands that you've gone to Curcio? I know we have some Curciestas in here. Yeah, You know that song we sing before we eat? What's the, all I remember is the kikiriki and the bird sound. Uh, no, I should know that. Thank you. Yes, de Colores. I knew that. Just testing you. Yeah, so we, we would always sing this song, but then invariably as you start to march out uh, you get separated and so you, you lose track of hearing half the people so w- what happens is half the people start singing kind of on this beat and the other half start singing on this beat and, and it's all off uh, until until what? until we all reach the cafeteria and then the two players join together that's what's happening right now Nehemiah is starting them out he sends them on opposite directions and they're singing and they're worshiping and they're praising. And they come around to the very center. And guess where the center is? The temple of God. It wasn't about the walls. It's about God. God is supposed to be the center of it all. And they figuratively, metaphorically represent this in the path that they take. In giving thanks and dedica- dedicating the temple. That they start on the outside and they come together to meet at the center. Look in verse 40. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God, and so did I. You want to rededicate your life? You put Jesus at the center, church. I'm going to say that again. If you want to rededicate your life, you want to, you want to get to the point where you have peace and you have calm, you don't have any concern, put Jesus at the center. I, uh, I got uh, Micah to bring one of these. You guys know what this is? What's this? Yeah, very popular toy today called a fidget spinner, right? All the kids in school have them, I think. Um, you, you could try to spin it on this one of these outside uh, wings, right? Uh, but the thing's going to be lopsided, right? It's, it's not going to work right. And, and you know, I, I feel like in our life, these, uh, these wings here, they represent the different uh, parts of our life that you could focus on. Listen to me now. You've you got to put God at the center of your marriage. You, you put God at the center of your marriage, then as the two of you begin to move closer to Him, you move closer together. 
It's not going to work. And you're going to find strife and pain if Jesus is not the center of your marriage. You've got to put God at the center of your finances. And how you handle the resources that want to be for you. And you've got to listen to Jesus' words. Uh, because money more than anything is going to want to capture your heart for dependence. Hard times come and before you trust in God, you're going to trust in your checkbook. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't. You're going to love the one and hate the other, despise the one, serve the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But you know what? Everything is going to work out if you put God at the center of your finances. Put him first. You've got to put him at the center of your family. You can't let family be the center. Jesus has to be the center. That means for some of you trusting God with your children and their future. Some of you trusting God with your your parents and the state of life and what they're in as they get older. You need to put Jesus at the center of your body. Do you remember as we looked at that? Uh, My body, his building. Remember that series, right? And that everything that you decide to do, what you eat, how you sleep, exercise, what you watch, what you meditate on, what you say with your tongue. Make Jesus the center of this vessel that you have. Or your relationships. How about the people you spend time with? Those buddies. Those ladies. Are these glorifying to God? Is God at the center of my relationship? Because if you put any one of those things as the center, it's not going to work. You're going to find yourself entering into chaos. But if you put Jesus at the center, all those other things are going to work the way they're supposed to. Your life's going to have this sense of peace. Knowing that whatever you face, whether that's a hardship within your family, whether that's a hardship with your finances, whether that's a hardship with your spouse, whether that's a hardship with your body and your health, it doesn't matter what you face. If Jesus is at the center, it's going to be all right. And you can have peace. I only have one question as we end this morning. And you have it on your sermon notes. Big circle. And it asks the question, where does Jesus need to become the center in your life. Where, where have you gotten off center? I'm going to close this time, the sermon with a time of response. Faith is something that needs to be seen by action. And I'm not going to ask you to come up front, although sometimes I'll do that. But this morning, I just want to ask, um, we're going to sing this song, Jesus at the Center. Uh, And as we do, I want to ask you to just do business with God. That if you can, sing along with us. It's a a new song. But I want you to check your heart. And if that means to to stay seated, stay seated. We're going to start out in in a time of prayer. And then we'll move into singing this song. And then then we'll be through with the, the message. But I want you to take opportunity that maybe God is speaking to you this morning. Maybe this message that he's given me is for you. And that's why you came to church today. Because you've just been a little off-center and it's time for you to get right. It's time for you to put Jesus at the middle. Will you bow your heads to pray with me this morning?